So good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Georgia Tech Remote Teaching Academy Designing Assessment Workshop. This workshop is the synchronous companion to the Georgia Tech Remote Teaching Academy asynchronous course that's available to you in Canvas. There's lots of information in that course, both from an assessment perspective, but also about Canvas and about interactions and things like that. So I encourage you, if you haven't already, to take the opportunity to go into Canvas and look through the material there. You know, also assessment is a lot, it's kind of a big area, especially when we talk about remote teaching. So this is really is a two-part series. So the first part this morning, what we'll talk about is designing assessments. So my name is Troy Corval. I'm the Director of Assessment and Educational Insights in Georgia Tech Professional Education, and I'm also Interim Director of Learning Design. Hi, I'm Carol Savino-Sullivan. I'm the Assistant Director for Faculty Teaching and Learning Initiatives at the Center for Teaching and Learning. And I know we have lots of colleagues that are helping monitoring the chat. Do we wanna have them log on for us and uh, say hello to everyone? Yeah, Rebecca, do you wanna start? Hey everyone, my name is Rebecca Pope-Ruark. I am a Faculty Teaching and Learning Specialist <coughs> in CEDL, and I'll be here monitoring the chat, making sure you have all the links that you need and trying to answer questions as we go. Good morning, everybody. My name is Evan Mallon. I'm a postdoctoral fellow with CEDL, and I'll be helping out with the break rooms today. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm Chao Wao uh, with the Center for Teaching and Learning. I will help uh, answer questions in the chat. Hi, everyone. This is Amit Doshi from the library. Happy to help out. So really, our purpose of this session is going to, we're going to focus on the use of framework of alignment to identify potential changes to your assessment plan. They're appropriate for the remote teaching environment. But again, we think a lot of the information there is available in this content and in the asynchronous portion of the course would allow you to use this in any type of environment. Now, in terms of assessment, and you know, as we think about assessment, it's sort of this overview is that what we're really trying to do is collect or provide evidence about learner progress in terms of knowledge, skills, and abilities in relationship to the course. And when we think about assessment, we typically think of one side of the coin, of a two-sided coin. The one side we think about is assessment of learning. And that's very summative based or this or high stakes space, right? So it's the idea of assessment of learning is collecting information for the evaluation of student achievement. And it's really focused on, I need to give the student a grade. But on top of that, there is the second side of the coin, assessment for learning. And that really is about this idea of assessment to provide feedback to the students. So it's more along the lines of a bit of a learner path. And I want to provide smaller, lower stakes assessments along the way that lead up to more of these summative assessments. That's really important in a remote learning environment because students have this duality in a remote learning environment. Part of them are really excited about having a little bit more freedom, right? So they can, they typically can, they typically can watch lectures when they want to watch lectures. They have more freedom about potentially a time span to take the assessment. So there's a sense of freedom there. But there's also this sense of anxiety. This idea that am I am I progressing the right way? Like am I am I am I giving the faculty member what they want? And so one of the ways to relieve that anxiety is to this assessment for learning concept, where you're giving them mile markers along the way and you're helping guiding them through the process. Now leading into and expanding on that, really we have here is five myths in a remote learning environment. So the first myth is is that online assessments must follow must follow assessment methods used on campus. So that's kind of a dual process. So first of all, is that don't feel like that if when you think about your assessment plan that you just have to transfer what you've done from an on-campus class into the online environment. This is an opportunity for you to rethink it, 
maybe to add in some more formative assessments that Carol will talk about in a few minutes, the more lower stakes assessment, maybe the opportunity to, to integrate some assessment technologies. So think of this as an opportunity to expand your assessment plan and to think of it a little differently. But it's also true that typically, you know, we see a lot of people when they think about assessment, again, thinking about just that summative assessment. And this is an opportunity to break out of that and to help a learner along the way. Because remember, in a remote learning environment, they really need that constant feedback. Myth two is that assessments are evaluation mechanisms, not teaching tools. This goes back to assessment for learning that we just talked about. It's just the idea of it is a, assessments can be a great teaching tool where learners have the opportunity, especially in a low stakes environment, to maybe not succeed a little bit and recognize some of the errors, their weaknesses, and they can then take control of their learning a little bit and then go out and learn more and work on their weaknesses. Myth three is, and I know this is the one that comes up a lot, is that instructor is the sole person responsible for assessment student learning. I know being a faculty member that thinking about adding assessments or expanding my assessment plan oftentimes seems like a lot. What I have to remind myself is there are mechanisms other than just the me as the instructor providing the feedback that, are, that can be utilized, such as peer facilitation, group work, utilizing rubrics so the students can do self-evaluations. There's lots of different mechanisms that can be utilized so that the instructor doesn't feel the whole burden of the feedback mechanism. The fourth myth is that anything, anything faculty do differently from now on will cost them too much time that they don't have. One of the things to think about in this process is that this is really an investment in your future courses. So the benefit of this idea is that what you're gonna have is the opportunity here to utilize the information we provide here in future courses. And that's what, that's what I get excited about hearing some of the things that Carol talks about because it really does bring a fuller picture of assessment into play. Myth five is that there are technologies available to completely eradicate cheating and plagiarism. I know this is a hot topic right now as we think about uh, the concept of digital proctoring and cheating and whatnot, and I know there's actually been articles about this in the AJC. I think it's important for us to realize that from, from our perspective, from the Georgia Tech perspective, we provide actually a spectrum of resources to help you with academic integrity. And every, the utilization of those resources requires certain decisions. Because for instance, if you're thinking about just doing digital proctoring, the, so there's some issues with digital proctoring. For instance, the minimum requirements for students in terms of technology does not require them to have a webcam or a mic. So therefore, you're gonna probably have some students that don't have webcams or mics, and yet for digital proctoring, you're required to have a webcam and a mic. Your students may not have broadband internet access, and yet digital proctoring requires broadband internet access. You know, your students also, it tends to increase the anxiety for the students as they think about digital proctoring because it's a system they haven't utilized. That's not ruling it out, it's just saying there are lots of decisions to think about. And so what we've put together is called a decision diagram for assessment tools and technology. And this is just a portion of it. But what it's meant to do is help you walk through that decision process. So for instance, it has right here, examine the nature of your assessment. And so it starts off with the first thing of thinking about can you use alternative assessments rather than just maybe a multiple choice exam? If yes, then it directs you to some great resources that CETL have, has about alternative assessments, and also directs you into how you can use Canvas assignments to deliver. But maybe you can't. Maybe, you maybe in sort of reflecting on it, you see, I, I can't give an alternative form of assessment. Then it trails you over to this idea of 
do you need to write down, the students need to write down the answers. So this would be a scientific formulas or engineering problems. If yes, it'll take you into grade school inside Canvas. It's designed to walk you through the options. Included in those options are several things we have on the spectrum here. Alternative assessments is, is an option, but it covers Turnitin, which is, covers plagiarism. Respondus 4.0, which is about creating and managing exams. Gradescope, for those scientific and engineering problems. How to utilize Canvas assignments and quizzes. For instance, using a timer so that students only get a certain amount of time to take assignments and quizzes. That's actually in the, um, in the course, and it's actually covered on the decision diagram. Respondus Lockdown Browser. And then in the end, if you've worked through all the options, there's actually an option for digital proctoring. And in that situation, you would go to services.godtech.edu, consult with someone about setting up digital proctoring. But again, it really is about a spectrum of options. That's sort of a brief overview. Carrie, you want to lead us a little bit of a discussion? Yeah, so you know, I think Troy gave us a good framework to start thinking about the, the types of changes that uh, you may need to make to your assessment plan given the new learning environment that we're facing because of COVID-19. So what we'd like you to do now is in the chat, think through this discussion question. Um, so the COVID-19 environment has caused us to rethink many things. And as you think about your summer 2020 courses, Tell us about an assignment that needed or needs to be modified or adjusted to reflect current faculty and student circumstances and situations. How are you thinking about modifying the assignment? So we'll um, hold this space for about a minute or so, uh, give you a chance to post your thoughts in the chat, and then um, we'll, we'll ask our um, Rebecca if, if you might uh, identify some questions or themes that are coming up and we'll discuss them together. All right, um, Rebecca, uh, could you let us know if there's any big questions or themes that are coming up in the post? Sure, we have a lot of folks who at the end of spring seem like they moved to more team projects, thought about ways that they could break up the big exams to smaller quizzes or open book tests, so designing a different sort of test for that. We do have some concerns about projects that don't necessarily translate directly into an online environment. Alan, would you mind talking a little bit about your assignment in urban sociology? Sure, yes. So um, I teach urban sociology and we had um, students go to Grove Park Atlanta, which is a neighborhood on the west um, side of campus. And they interviewed residents there about uh, their experiences with neighborhood change because this is a neighborhood that's been changing a lot because of gentrification and uh, investment. So they then wrote an essay reflecting on those interviews. So obviously this is going to be, we can't interview residents in person. Um, I do have transcripts and the audio from previous interviews and permission to use them for the class. So I've got an idea of how to mix it up, but that was my assignment that's going to require some changing. Oh, thanks, Alan. And I, you know, I love that you've already uh, gotten creative and and thought of a way around um, the major uh, barrier, which is that students aren't going to be able to uh, reach out in person. Um, and, you know, and thinking about that perhaps it's not even appropriate to, to, to think 
well, maybe there's a virtual way to do the interviews. You know, there, there, it could be that in this community, that's just not feasible. So um, I love that, that you were able to secure permission to share um, the past transcripts so that students can at least get practice with the reflection side of that, even though they'll lose out on getting practice with the actual um, interviewing. Um, aspect of that, which you know is a different type of learning, and and I think it for foreshadows a little bit of what I'm going to get into um, up ahead, which is you know thinking about and making these changes. What are making some priority lists about what is the most important learning that you still need to keep as you're making those changes to your assessments, and and recognizing that sometimes there might be a trade-off. Um, in this case, and, and just making the call about whether or not that's something that can be let go of. So thank you for sharing um, your, your plan, Alan. Yeah, and Victor, I see your cheating comment, and we'll come back to that, but I want to go to your original comment, um, which I think is just a universal pedagogical question. Victor asked, how do you convince the students that assessment is for learning? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've come to the conclusion, right, is that we have to do certain assessments uh, and because for accredited core courses in these engineering, there is no way we can get away with some of the calculations, some of the equations, students having to show that they master those. And it's, I think it's almost inevitable that students who are going out of their way to violate the honor code can and will do that. There'll be side chats going on. We've seen all of it. We've seen all of it, open book exams, closed book exams, uh, closed uh, limited time exams, uh, long time exams. I've seen cheating in literally every format that has been tried. And I think the only way to do this is convince students that this is part of their learning experience. And how do we do that? So how do we change the psychology that existed at the end of the spring semester into something where the students as a whole population buy into it more and do not get into the arms race of it is so important that I get everything perfect that I'm willing to do whatever is needed. Thank you so much um, for that question, you know, because I think it, you know, that's, that's really at the end of the day, um, Troy was saying there's no technology that's really going to perfectly ever be able to um, stop the students who are already going out of their way to find a way um, to do that. And so getting at uh, the psychology of it and that focus on assessment for learning and really helping students to, to see that benefit to themselves rather than a, a way that we as faculty are, are, are trying to pass judgment on them. And in fact, um, I think that's a really great segue uh, to go on to the next slide, which is uh, the, the portion of my presentation really um, is all about addressing um, the question that you're raising, Victor. So, so I'll go ahead and, and discuss that, and I think we'll, we'll have definitely the chance to, to continue to circle around and exploring um, this important question you're raising. So I think, first of all, when we're thinking about assessment for learning, we need to go back to that, uh, that basic level of of course design, which is thinking about the way that all of the pieces of our course are aligned with the end goals. And so um, the title of the slide says backwards design. And the idea behind that is whenever we're making any kind of decision about the course, whether we're designing it from the ground up or we're making major changes like we are now, we start with 
that question about what is it that we want our students to walk away from this course with, you know, five years from now, what is it that we're imagining that students have taken with them that they're ready to apply into the real world setting. So we identify those desired results, we write them as course learning objectives, and then we move to thinking about the assessments so that the assessments that we design are really providing us evidence about uh, whether or not the students have achieved mastery. And really, the, uh, you know, I said providing us evidence. I think the audience um, is bigger than us, right? It's, it's providing students um, some important information about their progress towards those learning goals. And so the way that we are really clear in setting, designing the assessments and setting those up so that the students can see that alignment and connection really matters. And then the, the final step here is that after we have the objectives and the assessments, we plan around that. Uh, we plan the content that we need to provide and the ways that students are going to engage with that content so that the entire learning experience for students feels very purposeful. There's nothing that feels like busy work or something that's not helping them actually learn the things that, that they need to learn in this course. And so I really wanted to dig in more to this idea about assessment for learning. And, you know, I think this is where we, we can use some of these big ideas that have been developed in the, the literature on learning science to, to, to think about Victor's question about how we can reach students at that psychological level. You know, so I think that alignment is sort of the, the fundamental piece behind this. Um, if, if the students can't see that, that the assessments they're doing are actually helping them progress to their goals, that's where they start to feel like, well, maybe it doesn't matter if my performance on this assessment is genuine or not, because what's in it for me if it's not letting me um, learn. So finding a way to make that clear everywhere, you know, from your syllabus, uh, having those learning goals there, having some um, language in the way you describe your assessments and your approach to the course, but also continuously as you go on, having goals um, at every class meeting, having uh, your assessments uh, described to the students from this framework of alignment. So at every turn, students, you know, are getting that reminder, okay, this is what we're doing, this is why I'm doing it, this is why it matters. The idea about forward-looking assessment is an important idea that comes out of the work of uh, D. Fink, who wrote a pivotal book called Creating Significant Learning Experiences, uh, which is one of the guiding books that we use in thinking about the course design process. And forward-looking assessments really are designed to help students put the knowledge and skills that they gain in, a in the class into some kind of a real-world application. Um, and, and so this is where some of the creativity from faculty comes in, you know, so you can think about, all right, even if this is a really fundamental um, course that I'm teaching, where is that place that students are going to use it next? You know, maybe this course holds up curriculum that's coming up later, you know, and it really just sets the stage, you know, can you help students see that in their assessment so that, you know, that they, they 
they feel like, okay, when I'm doing this assessment, I'm getting ready for the next thing, right? And that connects at this motivational level for students that gives them incentive to really give it uh, their best try. Because if they don't, then they know that they're setting themselves up for, for further difficulties um, in the future. The next point here is uh, transparency. From here, I'm pulling from the work of Marianne Winklemiss, who has been leading a project called uh, Tilting Higher Education. TILT stands for Transparency in Learning and Teaching. It's a really simple idea in a certain sense. The idea is basically that for every assessment that students engage in, it is up to us as faculty to clarify the purpose of the assessment, the specifics of the tasks, uh, what is expected, and the criteria for success. And in those criteria, um, she talks about both providing um, the metrics by which work will be grading, such as the rubrics, as well as examples of work that exemplifies that criteria so students can really envision it. Underlying this framework is a real idea about equity. There's a recognition that students maybe not all on equal footing when they come into our classes. They may come from different backgrounds, maybe in their families. They might be the first in their, in their families to go to college. And the truth is that there are hidden curriculums sometimes that disproportionately disadvantage those students who have less experience with higher education. By being fully transparent in purpose, the task, and the criteria, we can cut through some of that um, hidden curriculum and help set up all students for as much success as they possibly can get, and also getting at that motivation. That's, you know, again, that purpose comes into it. You know, maybe there's some students who are having trouble envisioning how they could use what they're learning in this course for whatever is coming next, right? So here, here is your chance to do it. And in the asynchronous module, we actually have more information about this, including some handouts that can help you set up your assessments um, using that model. The final idea I want to highlight now is this idea about frequent practice with feedback, and, and Troy uh, was alluding to this earlier. I'm pulling here from the work that was presented in How Learning Works, which is uh, was co-authored by several authors. Ambrose is the, the first one, so you'll often hear Ambrose at all. And I've actually, in your reflection and discussion guide, I've listed all of the references that I'm making now there in the back uh, so that you can uh, follow up with them later if you like. But basically the idea here is that the students need to have this continuous access to practice with very immediate feedback. And when you create that kind of situation, students see how the assessments are helping them with learning. Like Troy was saying, you know, students, you know, actually do need to see when they're not quite mastering it, when they're not getting it. That's where the opportunity for learning, when they can see the gaps and also get constructive feedback about how to close it. But in order for it to be effective, it's got to be really frequent and low stakes enough so that you know it, it, it doesn't scare students into thinking, well, I have to pretend by cheating that I'm getting this. Um, it, it's got to instead come across as as really helpful to them and that you know there's an advantage for putting themselves out there and making them vulnerable. 
Troy, could you uh, move to the next one? Thanks. And so all of these lead into a focus on learning over performance. I think as I went through each of those ideas, highlighted the way that you're really working to tap into student motivation, or as Victor put it, tap into that psychology um, to help students reframe the way that they're thinking about an exam or a quiz or a major project, right? It's not about a performance. What good does that do them anyway if they're not actually learning? These, th this next idea um, comes from uh, an important piece of uh, important book that was written by James Lang called Cheating Lessons. And in this book, Lang really explored what are the conditions that uh, lead to academic dishonesty and found that there are some commonalities in the learning environments where we do see uh, high levels of cheating. One has to do with the stakes, and the recommendation is uh, to really try to lower the stakes um, as much of, as possible, um, because high stakes assessment really just put that pressure on students that make them focus on the performance and make it more likely that they might turn to cheating instead of really uh, an honest demonstration of their mastery. You know, and, and one tool to do this is look at your assessment plan and see, is there a way to spread out points that maybe you had concentrated in one high stakes? And it sounds like from the comments that Rebecca summarized earlier, this is exactly what some of you um, have already started to do. So that is, um, you know, just the right move and it's supported by other research. The second idea that Lang uncovered in his work is the idea of high anxiety. So finding ways to lower the anxiety um, is another thing that can help uh, prevent cheating. And there's one thing, and one thing in particular that contributes to anxiety are the time limits. You know, this can get tricky because Frankly, one of the tools that helps us with cheating is to put a time limit, you know, when we do tests so that students don't have as much time, you know, to look uh, the answer. So thinking about how we're constructing the exams, I, this also came up um, in some of the comments, you know, designing them so that expecting that students are going to be looking up answers, but they need to do more really on the exam in order to demonstrate mastery which may allow you to uh, relax uh, some of those uh, time limits. You might also consider really giving some more grace periods for late work. And then the fact is that we may never be fully able to eliminate the high stakes um, assessment. Sometimes they're just needed and, and that's, that's just, just a fact. And so in that case, we can think about reducing anxiety by connecting to that idea of frequent practice, right? And make sure that those a low stakes practice are really well aligned to that high stakes so that students see, oh, okay, I'm making progress, I'm figuring out how to do well on that high stakes assessment so it reduces their anxiety um, as, as they uh, approach it. So with these ideas in mind, um, what we'd like you to do next is to connect to your own assessment plan. And in the handout packet, the discussion and reflection guide, on page one and two, we've got a couple of different questionnaires um, that you can choose from. So if you are taking an existing assessment and wanting to make modifications to it, uh, look at the, at the checklist on page one. 
If you are thinking about creating a completely new assessment, then look at the checklist on page two and use this checklist to brainstorm the types of changes or the, the new assessments that you might create in order to adapt to the remote 